the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living TV's podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective, to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. Today, my guest is Michelle Olson. She's been working in the aging field for over two decades. She is very passionate about healthy, creative, and mindful aging in ending inequities such as ageism, isolation, and stigmas around dementia. She strives to empower older adults, giving choices and a voice to enhance their mental, emotional, social, and physical well-being. She provides consulting for long-term settings, staff training, and uh, corporate consulting. She's also a licensed board certified and registered creative arts therapist and visual artist. As a uh, social gerontologist, her research includes arts-informed approaches, examining long-term care policies, particularly contemplative end-of-life care practices. Her research also includes advancing person-directed care, combating institutional and internalized ageism, and creating dementia-friendly and intergenerational communities. Well, hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So I appreciate your time to be here. So tell us, where are you from? What are you doing in senior living? And uh, tell us about your journey. Yeah, so well, originally I am from southeastern Virginia, but now I'm living in the Hudson Valley area of New York. So I have been in senior living for the last 22 years. Actually, it started with an internship with veterans, an art therapy internship, which turned into a position, and that was it. Like, I was sold. This was where I needed to be. So it was pretty clear that I had worked with children and middle-aged adults, but that it just didn't resonate with me as older adults. So I really am most passionate about long-term senior living, long-term care, but I do work in several different types of settings. So I work in independent living, assisted living homes, elder day centers, that type of thing. Yeah. So that's kind of my journey to where I am now. I'm also kind of an entrepreneur. So I left my full-time long-term care position to do consulting work. So that's how I get to travel and see all types of settings and meet all different people in my journey. So it sounds like you found your passion in uh, serving the baby boomers. So what impact are you making in senior living? So the impact that I'm making, a couple things come to mind that I'm really, really passionate about. So I'm a fierce advocate for person-directed care. And I know this is something that boomers are also passionate about, but it's really not just for the boomers, but for all older adults within these elder care settings. 
So it includes people not only given choices throughout all aspects of their daily lives, but also to ensure that people are included in these aspects and these preferences. You know, and I can also recognize the, the inherent challenges that are so common in elder care, and it tends to focus on tasks and these rigid schedules. But as the boomers are entering these care communities, they are not going to let others dictate what when and how their lives are going to be led. And I see this. I see this with some of my clients. In fact, one woman comes to mind, a woman that I've known for several years. She's a boomer and she does not hesitate to speak up for herself. And what I really appreciate about her is not only does she speak up for herself, but she's also an advocate for others in her community. So there's a lot of people in this large home who can no longer speak for themselves. And she does. She does her part to kind of speak up. And it's empowering for her. It's inspiring for me. And I believe it's really all of our job to be this kind of an advocate. Very true. We need to be advocates for the baby boomers. They are our parents and grandparents. So what concerns does she bring up? If somebody is not receiving the care or the attention that they should be getting in a timely manner, she's on it. She recognizes details. And myself as a consultant, I can go in and I can see these things, but she can really be that voice to go right up to the CEO and say, hey, I recognize this or I see this. She'll notice things in the environment that she would like to see improved. And she makes great points. And she had a loved one also in that same place, in that same home. So she really is quite an advocate and an inspiring one for sure. I see. So when she sees an opportunity for improvement, she brings awareness all the way to the top to be considered and uh, to be resolved. And that's great. We have the responsibility to provide quality of life and quality of care. So absolutely. I agree, Han. I agree so much. Like, instead of seeing it as a criticism, say, hey, you know, this is something we can do better. This is an opportunity to do better. And we really have to kind of look, step back and look at our homes from a position of, could we be comfortable there? Would we be comfortable sitting in that wheelchair or not moving or have someone just kind of take you and move you somewhere else? Like, it really makes you think if we put ourselves in the shoes of others, what does that say about the home? If we can just put ourselves in the other person's position and be a little bit more empathetic that way. The baby boomers, these are our parents and grandparents that have been uprooted from their homes and hopefully not too far from their families. Now their freedom is very limited. They cannot drive and perhaps they might be using a wheelchair. So now they are in a new setting, maybe still having to adapt to the new routine and schedule. Uh, So it's very humbling and very unselfish for both caregivers and the baby boomers to go through this journey. That's right. And I think it really kind of comes back to how we train, you know, and how we lead by example. So if someone's used to a certain routine their whole life, for uh, just thinking of a woman now who her whole life, she just walked. She wanted to be walking every day. That was her routine. She was a earth mama, as she used to say. And she loved to be outdoors, and particularly in the woods. And I remember one day walking in, there was a party getting ready to start, a big entertainment celebration of some kind. And she wanted to take a walk, but that wasn't the plan of the day, right? Like she was supposed to go and sit and enjoy this party. Well, she wanted to walk. So she was told to sit down and she flipped out. She just was not having it. And my heart literally like just 
I almost felt it, that pain of that loss of freedom that you were just talking about, because it's kind of like forcing people into our routine. And it's a lot. It's a lot to think about and some changes that are not impossible. We can do them. You know, I respect the events and the organized activities. You need to have structure in the community at the same time. As we age and we have complexities in our daily routine, there needs to be some flexibility because sometimes our routines may not fit into the uh, community schedule. I see a lot of that in my mom when she was 70s. Uh, she's now in her mid-90s. It gets more rigid as you get older. And the residents, let's say the body clock or your schedule does not necessarily align with the schedule of the community. And it's a lot for the staff to take that into consideration. As I said, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's challenging because of the way things are often set up. And I do see things improving. But, you know, is there volunteers? Are there interns? Are there, is there anybody who can help? Because if rather than forcing someone into a box, right, like sit down, we're going to have a party and you're going to enjoy it. What if we said, all right, hey, here's, you know, Han, she's going to take you for a walk. So it would have alleviated that right away. And we're going to go walk together and get some fresh air together. It is challenging, but I definitely don't think it's impossible. And we just kind of have to open up our minds a little bit and how we're currently functioning in these homes. That's a lot for caregivers to understand that many people. You know, what we learned from my family is that we're so blessed to have many siblings. And my siblings are the ones that need to understand my mom's temperament. So it's a blessing that she has a schedule and we all work to accommodate that. And it's really sad when you see people without family support, it's very lonely and it can be isolated. And my suggestion is family members should always be engaged as much as possible outside of their work and outside of their family because their presence cannot be replaced by anyone. Right. Well, first of all, I agree. That is a blessing that your mother has children that are close by and can help in her daily routines. And that is a blessing. So what is your role in the industry? Yeah, so my role as a consultant, so usually I'm brought in to do art therapy with older adults. That's mostly what I do. Sometimes I do staff training, which is also great, and it's important for many reasons. But generally, my role is to come in as an art therapist, and I work, as I said, in different types of settings. So I really am allowing these opportunities to come out for people to express themselves, to share their feelings, their emotions, their thoughts, some laughter, and really connections between people. And it's really important for me to have these opportunities available because, you know, in our daily lives, as you were just saying, with our relationships, we can talk with other people, we can express ourselves. But what if there's not many opportunities? So this is one way, the creative arts, and I use poetry, music, some mindful practices with the people that I work with. And so, yeah, so that's just some of the ways that I kind of help out in senior living. Is it like a social cafe offering activities for the baby boomers to engage in allowing them to thrive? Right, definitely. And it doesn't have to be for people who were formerly artists or who were creatives in their former life, although it's wonderful for those that are artists. But it's really amazing to witness what can happen when we just provide these opportunities for connection and expression. Again, it's empathy, it's deep listening, it's really bringing people together. And yeah, I love it all these years later. <laughs> yeah, it's increasingly difficult if your loved ones is in the later stage of dementia. Oh yeah, sometimes, yeah. 
You see resistance. You got to have empathy and patience. You need to understand why they're resisting, as opposed to being upset that they're resisting. Right. There's a reason for the resistance. And the other thing I would say is is to like accept that you know we're not perfect either. We try something, it doesn't work. Try something else. And I think we have to really kind of be kind to ourselves as well. I hear a lot of times because I work with care partners when I do work out in the community, like memory cafes, and I do a lot of work where people who might be living with dementia and their care partner they're together and they connect in a whole different way. And I could see sometimes the frustration and sometimes the impatience. And I think that if we just accept that and say, "Okay, this is hard," like you just said, this is not easy. Take a breath and maybe just try a different way. Just being kind of creative and resilient in how we approach something that we want to introduce. It is truly full circle. You know, when we were younger, they took care of us, and as their health declines, we as grown children need to be taking care of them. And it's almost like、uh, their toddler age because they do need day to day and reminder help and so forth. That's right. Exactly. So I think it might have been the Pioneer Network. I can't remember where I read it, but it was a great article, kind of on that where it's not really necessarily the golden rule, like treat others as you want them to treat. How does it go? Treat others as you would want to be treated, but it really should be treat others how they want to be treated. And I'm like, that's brilliant because that's brilliant. Because, <laughs> that's so yeah, true. Yeah, I want to be treated the way I want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated, the way my child wants to be treated or my sister. So. We're all different, and that's kind of the whole premise of that person-directed care. And that could be with our own relatives, looking at them as a unique person. Do you think the generation that are in their thirties and forties do they understand what is upcoming in caring for their loved ones? That's a good question because I am fifty, so I'm not really. I'm Me not too. Really sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what you know the more of a millennial generation feels. I happen to read today that our generation. Is the one caring for their children and their aging parents? Like we are in the highest percentage. Absolutely,、so、right there. So it's our generation. But yeah, so that's a good question. It might be harder for them. But then again, I can picture a couple families that I work with in the community. The children are very young; they're in their twenties, and they help care for their father who is living with Alzheimer's, and. They're amazing, like absolutely amazing. Like the love and the compassion and just the joy that they all share together—it's really something to witness. You know, sense of humor. I think is huge. I think we have to have a sense of humor. <laughs> oh、um, yes. <laughs> but,、uh, yes, that's a really good question. I have to think about, but you know, I can think of a couple millennials that are really incredible. You know, when I was in my thirties and forties. I remember my life to be too full or too busy with my kids' activities. You know, I really did not consider my parents' health and who and how we would take care of them as their health declined. It occurred to me when my dad had brain tumor, which was about four and a half five years ago. Unfortunately, we don't think about these things until we are dealt with a crisis. Right now, do you mean your health choices, or you mean how you treated your mother? Well, both. Knowing the senior living options and determining which one would be a good fit for your loved ones, and of course the affordability. That's right. Oh my gosh, that is so true. And I think it is normal. Like I do feel an aging, avoiding society because we don't want to think about getting older because getting older equates to death, and we don't want to think of those things. But in reality, it's like if we do 
at a very young age, kind of recognize that aging is living, it's normal, and that might help prepare us more and open up the opportunities for conversations. So we can ask our parents before there's a crisis, what would you and, you know, if, should you get dementia or get an illness that you can't care for yourself any longer? But I think you're right. And if, now we know, right? So we now know we do better. But now we also can teach our children that and kind of go forward and our grandchildren to have these conversations and get that education that you talked about and get that a little bit earlier. That's true. You know, I'm saying all of this because I'm in my mid-50s. But when I was in my 30s and 40s, I didn't have the wisdom or the empathy. I was too focused on my own life. As you age, you do gain life experiences and you would have gone through some good times and certainly dark times. So you become more empathetic. Right. And that's such a great thing, right? Like that's a really one of the great things about aging. You know, it's unfortunate that society has such a negative attitude towards aging and and the age. As we get into our later years, we should... I think, have an internal strength, an inner spirit that would drive us to be our moral compass and not so much driven by the cultural expectations. Yeah. So that is when you talk about making an impact in senior living, like that is aside from, you know, the person directed care or person directed care that fighting ageism really is something that we can all do. And like you said, living our best life, but also recognizing that our own ageist feelings or our own beliefs and biases, because we all have them. And it's like kind of work in progress. I catch myself all the time thinking these thoughts about aging or, you know, I have to actually stop it, like make note of it and stop it. So, but also the second part of that is then to kind of speak up and educate other people and younger generations. You know, I think it's important to educate the younger generation, be aware of the noise and clutter but don't succumb to it. You know, just like I tell my teenage kids, they're college kids and they graduate from college already now. But anyway, so when they were younger in their adolescent years, you know, be aware of the peer pressure. We all know that there's a lot of stuff going on during that time, the adolescent years. Be aware, rise above it and mind your business. And also you're in the midst of the peer pressure, but you don't have to be under the pressure. And I think that applies to all of us. Be aware of ageism, but don't give it power over you. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting analogy. I like that. So rather than hiding it, you know, when you your kids go off to college and you know there's going to be drinking and there's going to be things to happening like that happens in college campuses, you're not going to be like, well, just it doesn't happen. You're saying, look, this is happening. You don't need to get wrapped up in it. And the same thing applies to these beliefs. Like, yeah, they're out there. It's common, but we don't have to be a part of it. We don't have to buy into it. I really like that. That's great. So what changes have you seen in the senior living industry over the years? Some of the things that I have seen change. Well, I definitely feel there's a lot of positive changes since I first came into senior living in regards to how we care for people in these settings. We're a lot more mindful of language. We're a lot more mindful of things like restraints, you know, so more medicalized stuff. So I feel like we're getting better and I still feel like we have a lot more to go with, particularly in these settings where there's a lot of people in one place 
you know, as we talked about earlier, it's challenging to try to meet the needs of so many different people from all different walks of life, all kind of put into one location. So that is a challenge that needs addressing. And to me, it's like kind of an environmental issue. Is this even feasible? How can we ask people? How can we ask staff and caregivers to meet all these needs and actually put them into regulatory practice? But then we're not really supporting them because it's not easy for the older adults, but certainly not for the staff caring for them. I feel like staff often get a bad rap, but when you have 40 people and there's only two or three of you to care for them and you're supposed to meet their daily needs and preferences, that certainly isn't easy. So I feel we have a ways to go. That hasn't really changed. I always ask this, what does the aging process mean to you? Aging? Well, that's easy. It's just living. (laughs) That's easy. It's living. (laughs) That's a very quick answer for you, Han. So we're all aging. And as I said, I turned 50. And so I'm practicing that I'm aging. I'm getting older. And And we're good at it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good at it. I'm a work in progress. It's a journey. I'm not always perfect. I sometimes have those thoughts that pop in my head. (laughs) I love it. Aging journey is a work in progress. How true. That's it. Right on. Yeah. Because that's what we're doing, right? There's like a freedom and a celebration in aging too, I think. So I don't know. To tell you the truth, I'm pretty excited to see what the next few decades bring. Like not that I'm without problems and some pain or whatever, but it's like, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, bring it on. Let's see. I mean, I had children really late. So my children are not that old. Like I still have a teenager and a soon to be 11 year old because just that's how my life worked out, right? I had them a little later. So it's also interesting because Yeah, I'm more exhausted than I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. But like, for instance, I decided to go back to school. So I graduated at 50. And it's like, you know what? Here's congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm teaching my kids. Hey, you know what? Your life is a whole, like we said, aging is a journey. So don't think that you can ever not do something because of your age. If if you have it in your heart to do it and you have a strong desire to do it, do it. So have you thought about your own plans and maybe plans for your parents with senior living options? I have one parent left and she is so stubborn. (laughs) She doesn't really want it. She's one of those people who doesn't want to talk about aging. She's just like, oh, I'm old. Like she recognizes she's old. That's what she says. But she doesn't really want any help in planning She's that type of personality. But for me, I definitely have, because I'm so aware of aging and growing older. I mean, I have, you know, a living will and the, um, goodness, my living will and my advanced directive or power of attorney in place and advanced directives in place. I mean, I go so far, Han, is my husband has a death set. Okay. <laughs> he has oh. a music, all my music choices. So that when my time comes, like these are the pl- the music you're going to play at my party. This is what we're going to do. That is awesome. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 So it's like, I don't avoid it. We talk about it. I talk with my kids about it, you know, not in a sad way, but like, this is life. You know, I try to explain in the best way I can that there's all just different stages of life. So I'm very open with that and have things in place. Well, hey, I'm so glad that we connected and had the opportunity to talk and share our life stories. And thank you so much. Right, right. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Han. Hey, good talking to you, Michelle. Best to you. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living TV's podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.